Welcome to Financial Decoder, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. I'm your host, Mark Reby. This show is a companion to Schwab's Choiceology podcast, which shares stories of irrational decision-making from a variety of realms and looks at how the decisions we make impact our lives overall. Here on Financial Decoder, we decode the cognitive and emotional biases that influence specific financial decisions that we all face and offer strategies to help us mitigate these biases and strive for better financial outcomes. That sound you hear is me typing the phrase most popular New Year's resolutions into a search engine. This episode will be coming out right around the time when many of you will be thinking about resolutions for 2019. I just hit enter, and the first thing that comes up is a survey of the most common New Year's resolutions for 2018. There's a three-way tie for first place, and those are way ahead of everything else on the list. The winners are eat healthier, get more exercise, and save more money. And that last one, saving more money, that's the topic of this episode. By the way, eating healthier and saving money are curiously connected. An early 2018 study found that Americans spend roughly $5,400 per year on impulse purchases, and nearly three-quarters of them are for food. Based on my own behavior, I suspect many of those impulse buys aren't for the healthiest of foods, but, but who knows? Anyway, back to saving. This is important to me because I'm a big believer in the power of investing to improve people's lives. But if you're going to be an investor, you must first be a saver. I'm troubled when I hear statistics like 26% of all workers have saved less than $1,000 for retirement, and 64% have saved less than $100,000. Now, of course, there are plenty of legitimate reasons for not saving. It's difficult if you have inconsistent employment, for example, or low earning power. And if you have expensive health challenges, it can be hard to save even if you have insurance. This episode isn't about people in those circumstances. Our focus is on people who earn enough, but who either don't know how much to save or are psychologically unable to save. This is a surprisingly complex issue, and our approach to saving is driven by both deep-seated behaviors and external forces that are hard to control. From a behavior perspective, a recent study out of Cornell University found that people are hardwired to put more importance on earning money than on saving it. And there's actually a thing called the Spendthrift Tightwad Scale, and a version of the scale was tested on a few hundred children ages 5 to 10. The results showed that even within that age group, there were wide dispersions in how kids scored. 30% of the kids were at the Tightwad end of the scale, and 7% were at the Spendthrift end. When it comes to external forces, other scholars have found that the past performance of the overall economy can drive behavior. Even after controlling for many of the variables that might influence saving behavior, it turns out that people who came of age during good times tend to be less frugal than those who grew up during lean economic years. And these effects have been shown to last for decades. In other words, if you lived through the Great Depression, or if you have parents or grandparents for whom the Great Depression is a vivid memory, and to this day it influences their behavior, guess what? You're not alone. Many people at Schwab work to encourage saving, but perhaps none more so than Carrie Schwab Pomerantz. 
Harry's the author of several books on investing and financial planning and is president of the Charles Schwab Foundation and a certified financial planner. She's devoted a considerable amount of energy to issues like financial literacy and making sure that everyone understands the importance of financial matters. Carrie, it's nice to have you here. Thanks for having me, Mark. So Carrie, to my mind, the savings challenge is actually made up of really two separate issues. First, we have people who don't think they need to save more, but they really should. And it seems that their behavior is really being driven by a form of present bias. In other words, they're so focused on the present, they simply don't pay much attention to events in the far-off future. Uh, they just can't see themselves in a future state. And this is pretty common. So if we know that our brains are working against us when it comes to savings, how can people focus on the need to save now? I think it's a matter of retraining our brains. And I think what's getting in the way of us savings is really probably fear, greed, and putting our heads in the sand because I can't think of one person who doesn't need to save for their future. I mean, just think about what your future as an older person will look like. And I think that will be enough to get you to start saving uh, for that future. And and that's why I like to I like to think that learning how to save at a young age is so important because then it becomes a habit that you just you just do it. You don't even think about it. It's just part of life, like paying taxes or brushing your teeth or whatever it may be. But for those who maybe have started a little later, I think it's it's really important to put it on automatic pilot in a sense. Take it out of your hands if you feel like emotionally you can't deal with it. Most financial institutions or, or, or your um, your employer will allow you to take money automatically out of your paycheck put it into the savings or investing account, and then actually in, automatically invest it in some type of mutual fund or whatever so that you are saving for the future. So I think the more you can take it out of your hands, especially if you do seem to get in your way, uh, the better it is. So and I, I think what you're saying is if you never see the money, then there's no opportunity for the emotion to get in the way. Yeah. if you, I mean, you, in a way, you, you, you don't want to totally forget about it, certainly, right? But you do want to forget about the pain of having to spend less. And I think once you put on an automatic, like like a 401k, for instance, then you, you're left with the money that you can work with and you sort of forget that you are saving and you work with what you have. So let's talk about the people who know they should save more and they've got the financial means to do so, but they just can't make it happen. It's sort of a self-control issue. Um, this is another case where uh, the way I think about it, the people are fighting their own brains because... When we spend money, our brains release dopamine and, you know, it feels it feels good. Uh, you've written about mindful spending as a way to rein in discretionary spending and focus more on saving. So what does mindful spending mean to you? I learned about or I kind of discovered this whole idea of mindfulness when I was participating in a diet at my gym called the 30 the 30 Clean. And it was this whole concept of only being able to eat certain healthy foods. And if you know me, I'm one of those who likes to pick a lot of food, and I, and I put a lot in my mouth without even thinking about it. So once I committed to this diet, I had to be mindful. It's like, oh, I was going for the cheese and crackers, but oh, wait a minute. I'm not supposed to do that. That's not part of this diet. And it made me think about this so, this so applied and was so parallel to our spending because so often we do. We just see something at the store, a lot of impulse buying. Oh, I'll just buy that. I'll put that on my credit card. And we're not mindful. And that's how I think spending gets away from us. You know, we don't think about it and we don't think about the long-term repercussions. So it's all about being mindful. So it's more a question of just taking that pause, taking that moment to really think about those expenditures and what you're getting from it. 
Exactly. Because, you know, kind of like you said, you know, the dopamine, we get really excited about spending. You know, kiddingly, my husband always says I get a shopper's high when I come home from the department store. He says I'm as happy as ever can be. But I but I will tell you also there's a different kind of high, and that is seeing your money grow and having that, that self-confidence and, and sec- feeling of security when you start seeing money grow and, you know, having that pot of money to fall back on. I think that's exactly right. Um, now, one of the main reasons that people save is for retirement. Uh, but And you've seen the statistics. More than half of workers uh, are considered at risk of not being able to maintain their standard of living uh, when it comes to retirement. Um, what are some guidelines regarding the percentage of income that people should be saving at different ages? Well, we always say the earlier you start to save, the easier it is. And that's why it's so much better to start in, as early as possible. Like even with my kids, and I know with you too, Mark, with your kids, we start getting them to save and invest as soon as they get their first jobs. You know, when they're 16, we encourage them to open up a Roth IRA and save and invest in that for the rest of their lives. But a good rule of thumb for people is that if you, you know, if you start in your 20s, you should save 10 to 15 percent of your income toward retirement. However, if you wait until your 30s, you're going to have to save about 20 percent of your income. And if you save, wait till your 40s, you're going to have to save 30 percent. So you can see the the longer you wait to save, the harder it is. And I know saving 30 percent is a big chunk of your money. So it's just so much easier to start earlier. So that 10 percent, that seems doable. But as you mentioned, that number gets really high uh, very, very quickly. So so why is it? Why that big jump from, you know, 10 percent of your 20s to then 20, then to then to 30. Yeah, it's all the power of compound growth. And and what I mean by po- compound growth is that not only, you know, you're putting money aside, so let's just say whatever, $100 a month, you're, you're saving $100, but then that $100 is earning interest. And then, you know, as time goes by, not only is your savings earning interest, but your interest is, sa- is earning interest. So it creates a snowball effect where your money really grows a lot faster without even really thinking about it. If you don't do anything on the savings front until uh, you reach your 30s, you've got to save at a much higher rate to make up for the fact that you missed out on all that uh, all that potential growth during your 20s. Absolutely, all the compound growth. And, you know, the sooner you start, there's this example of, and it's not a great example, but if you... Um, have one penny and you save another penny the next day and you double each penny, I think after 31 days, it's, um, it's uh, millions of dollars, millions, yeah. like $20 million. And so the point is, it's just the magic of math, really. Um, and, and it works out so that you, you earn a lot more by starting early. So we open up the episode by mentioning that saving more is one of the top goals that people choose when it comes to New Year's resolutions. Uh, you've written that if you document your goals, the odds of achieving them go way up. So tell us more about that and specifically uh, what should people actually be uh, writing down when they uh, you know, put together a savings plan? Yeah. So goals are great because they um, make, you know, what you, sort of your hopes and dreams more concrete and, and it's, it's much more motivating. So I think it's really good to, I mean, there's different ways to look at it, but there's um, short-term goals, medium goals, and, and long-term goals. So a short-term goal might be to buy a, um, a car. Or, or a vacation, something that's three to five years. And then a midterm might be something for five to seven years. Maybe it's buying a house. And then a longer term goal would be something like retirement, which could be 40, 50 years away, or even a child's college education. So, you know, 20 years away. So thinking about what's important to you 
putting it on paper and having intention in your life. It's part of having a plan. And, and this whole notion of writing down those goals and then writing down how much money do I have now and how much money do I need to get there, you know, and what am I going to do to get there? Just that, that intentional act of putting that on paper, you're much more likely to succeed in achieving it. And there are studies, plenty of studies, um, in particular, a friend of mine who's an academic who's been studying the, the benefits of financial literacy on an individual's life. She has proven that people who plan, again, the simple act of writing down your goals and how you're going to get there, um, save on average 300% more than those who do not. In episode three, we talked about when it comes to uh, thinking about the performance of your, your investments, that it's really important to actually do the calculation and do it correctly rather than trying to guess because people get it, get it, get it wrong so, so often. I think what you were just talking about is that specificity is really important. Don't just write down, you know, I'm saving for a house. You know, it's what type of house, how much money I'm going to be setting aside with each paycheck. If you don't have that specificity, um, it's not going to be as successful. Is that, did I get that right? Oh, yeah. And I, and, I didn't, and I did not mention that. Absolutely. You definitely want to put price tags on, on your goals. And you also want to be realistic. You hear about people who want to retire in 10 years, you know, or 15 years. You, you have to really think about it. I, I think if you're, if you're realistic, you're much more likely to achieve it. Otherwise, you're probably going to get discouraged and kind of walk away from all your plans. So nudges are really popular these days. We did a, you know entire episode about nudges in, uh, in Choiceology. By nudges, I mean you know, small changes in how decisions are presented that can you know, lead you to make the right decision. So, so what's a good nudge when it comes to savings? It's a little bit harder, I think, with, with savings because it's one of those things you kind of just have to do it. And, and that gets back to, I think, one of the biggest nudges, and it's uh, you know, sort of a backhanded one, is putting it on automatic. Again, taking it out of your hands and letting your employer and your financial institution handle the savings and investing. I think another, you know, another nudge is, is having those goals. I mean, they can be very aspirational, thinking, wow, I'm going to have my own home in this community. That's pretty exciting and motivational. And if you start thinking about buying those Jimmy Choo shoes or that elaborate uh, or the expensive car as opposed to getting a used car and, and realize that you're not going to get to that beautiful home you hoped for, it, I think, you know, you might reconsider what you're going to spend on. So that's another one. The other is, I think, um, actually, a lot of women do this. They, they think about their older age and they get a little nervous about being a bag lady. So that kind of puts fire under their, you know, in their belly in terms of saving for their future and making sure that they're well protected and secure in their older age. As we head into the new year, people are beginning to learn, you know, learn about year-end bonuses. They're learning about whether or not they're going to get a raise for next year. This is also a time when a lot of people switch jobs and perhaps people are moving to a higher paying job. So do you have any tips for how to incorporate savings as people's financial situation is starting to uh, change a little bit, potentially. Yeah. So I think first and foremost is if you've made a commitment to save, in particular your retirement, and let's say you did start in your 20s and you're saving 10%, you know, you've committed to 10%, you, you definitely want to continue the 10% on any raise and in any bonus. Because remember, as you grow older and you get more accomplished in your career, your expenses get bigger and you have bigger needs in your, in your life. So you're definitely going to want a bigger retirement than, say, what you were making when you're in your 20s. So continue to save at a heavy rate. 
But at the same time as you're getting a you know a nice bonus or a nice increase, definitely reward yourself and have some fun. I mean, if you don't do things like that for yourself, then you again you're going to kind of you're going to get discouraged and you're going to walk away from it. So definitely take an opportunity to celebrate, but also continue that great savings you've always been doing. So there's so many factors, you know, both internal and external that are kind of working against saving. We live in this very consumer-oriented, consumption-oriented society, and there's not a lot of constituents. There's plenty of people talking about how to spend. The voices for savings aren't, uh, aren't, aren't nearly as loud. So you're a big advocate of financial literacy. Um, so let's do a lightning round where I'm going to identify an age group of kids, and then you give me the one best tip for how parents can get kids of that age to save. Are the rules clear? I think the <laughs> rules are clear, but I may not give you the exact answer you're looking for. So let's give it a try. Okay. Uh, elementary school kids. Highly recommend giving them an allowance and then making them spend the money on the things they want. This is the first time that they will actually put value on the money and reconsider spending their own money if you make them do it themselves. So it's sort of forcing them to be a decision maker exactly. when the stakes are relatively small. Exactly. All right. Good advice. Middle school age kids. Some people think that I'm crazy, but I think once your child's 11, 12 years old, teach them about investing. Take them to the local financial institution. Get them comfortable with working with a financial institution. Have that you know financial consultant talk about the benefits and the importance of investing um, in a diversified portfolio for the long term. Okay. Finally, what do you have for high school age kids? Continue the uh, conversation around investing. Have them open up their Roth IRA when they get their first W-2, you know, their summer job, and invest for their retirement. Also, start introducing them to credit cards and paying off a credit card monthly and paying it in full. Great. Yeah, well, that's good. That's good advice. So when kids are older, it's possible to get a little bit more mathematical with them. You've written about the opportunity cost of savings. We were just talking about that earlier, yeah. how you miss out on the power of compounding. Knowing how hard it is for adults to wrap their minds around it, how did you explain compounding to your kids? Oh, boy, oh, boy. That's, you're asking, asking me to do a math lesson right now. I think just the simple math, you know, um, give an example. Say, you know, for one year, if you have $1,000 saved for one year and you're getting 10%, your money will grow to $1,100, right? But then what happens is next year, your $1,100 will start earning interest along with the additional $1,000 that you save. Again, the interest is earning interest, that $100. So I think I think the best thing to do is to take your child, go on a savings calculator and put in some numbers like a, a savings rate and an interest rate, and you can see the power of how fast it grows. Right, and let them play around with it let a little bit. Let them play around. Uh, that's a lot of good information, Carrie. Uh, thanks for coming by. Thanks, Mark. It's been fun. For most of this episode, the message has been to save more. And there are good reasons for that. We believe most people should save more. And surveys indicate that many people agree. But like so much of life, there needs to be balance. Don't go to the other extreme because that isn't great either. There's a heartbreaking story in the Choiceology episode entitled The Temptation of Now about a mother who was a pathological saver and made life extremely difficult for her son. So don't forget to enjoy life's little luxuries and be, as Carrie mentioned earlier, 
a mindful spender. I love that phrase. This is especially important if you're retired. I regularly hear from Schwab representatives who work with retired clients. Many of these clients could comfortably spend more, but they refuse because they're locked in an overly frugal mindset. The problem with being too frugal is that you saved your whole life in order to enjoy retirement, and now that it's here, you're locked in a behavioral pattern of under-consuming. So don't go overboard. Feel free to live a little and enjoy the fruits of a lifetime of prudence and hard work. If you'd like to learn more from Carrie Schwab Pomerantz, visit schwab.com slash to read her articles. And remember, it helps to document your goals. You can talk to Schwab about creating and sticking to a financial plan. Call us at 800-355-2162 or visit a branch near you. We normally post a new episode every two weeks, but we're taking a short break after this episode for the holidays, and we'll be back in the new year. If you've enjoyed this episode, consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or your listening app. Thanks for listening. important disclosures in a transcript, see the show notes at schwab.com slash financial decoder.